So, let me ask a question here. Just, just a, a quick question, that, and it's a, it can be an interactive question, but maybe it's something that you guys have experienced before. Um, but how many of you know that some things are just really good warm or hot, or they're really good cold, but they're not good in that middle ground? You know what I'm talking about, that lukewarm, that kind of warm, that room temperature stuff? Things aren't very good there. There's some food that it's okay to be there, but there's some things that it's simply not. In fact, uh, one of those, in my opinion, is coffee. Coffee needs to be either hot or coffee needs to be either cold. It needs to be one of the two. If it's room temperature, I don't want it. It's not very good. In fact, you know that there's plenty of different drinks and foods like that too. Like, imagine a steak. That's best right off the grill, right? Ain't nobody want a steak at room temperature, right? If you do, then we'll pray for you. But if, if nobody wants that, it's best when it's fresh off the grill, right? Most vegetables are like that. Like nobody eats raw room temperature vegetables, but you want them cooked. And they're best when they're fresh out of the pot or fresh out of the oven, fresh off the baking pan. I got one that'll turn your stomach a little bit this morning, and you're welcome ahead of time. Fish is not good at room temperature. Fish is only good if it's freshly cold, it's been cooked, and then fro- cold in the fridge, or warm, fresh out of the skillet. Nobody's lining up for room temperature fish. Here's another one. Milkshakes. None of you, there's not a line for room temperature milkshakes at any place, or room temperature ice cream. You want that joint cold, right? You want cold. You don't want that in between. In fact, some things are just flat, if we can just be honest for a second, they're just gross, right? Like some of that stuff, when it's in the in-between, it's just gross, and nobody really likes that at all. More on that in a second. We're starting a new series today titled Stop Going to Church, and now some of you may sit back and go, Brandon, why on earth would you start a series titled Stop Going to Church on the opening day of our church? Why on earth would you do that? And the point is, in my argument, my thesis up front is, is, is I think that um, the church here in America and just the church in general as we know it should stop just going to church. Because for too long, we just go to church. And, and that, should fill, that somehow fills the gap with our emotional and relational needs with our Heavenly Father, is if we just go to church. If I go to church once this week, I'm good. I don't need anything else at all. And see, oftentimes the church becomes associated with the building, right? But the church is not the building. The church is the people, right? Somebody say amen. amen. The church is, is not this building, but sometimes the church gets associated with that. The church is, is not the organization, but sometimes it gets associated with that. The church is not just a TED Talk on Sunday morning that you get to come in here and then you leave. The church is not just a place where you drop your kids in the daycare in the back. Like, that's not just the church, it's not just the dope worship band that has great music when you come in, although we do have great music when you come in. Is we have allowed those things, which are all important and all, they're all significant. I'm not devaluing any of those things. But somehow we've allowed those things to fill the role of our relationship with Jesus. We allow it to fill the role that it was never meant to fill. It supplements and increases the role but, and increases our relationship, but it's not meant to be the only time that we have that interaction. It's not meant to be the only place and space that we have that. And to be honest, we have reduced our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our relationship with Jesus to just going to church. 
Do you feel guilty yet? Good. I think that one was mine. He always feels guilty when I'm around. So the bottom line up front, my, my whole point of this, my whole thesis is I think we need to stop going to church and start having a relationship with Jesus. We need to stop going to church, stop just letting the church be the thing, and start having a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus actually talks about people like this. He does. He, he gives a, a clear, clear, concise view of what those people are and how dangerous it can be and how bad it is for us to be some people who allow other things to fill the role of our relationship with him. He does. He speaks to it. In fact, he speaks to it in a, in a book that you Maybe you're afraid to read, um, maybe because it's in the back of the Bible and you think you need to start in the front and you just never get there, or maybe you sit and you start it and you're like, this is kind of crazy, I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to read this book anymore. Or maybe you're one of those people, you really like the book, but we actually see it in the book of Revelation. Now, notice there's no S on the end. It's Revelation, okay? Not, re- not Revelations, Revelation. It's the book of Revelation, and what we got to realize in the book of Revelation, I'm going to give you guys a little tidbit for the nerds out there, okay? If you're a nerd like me, this is for you. If you're not, just bear with us for a second, okay? But the book of Revelation is actually written with a lot of poetry, and it's written with a lot of leaning into the Old Testament. So some of the images you see in here in the book of Revelation as you're reading are playing or pulling from Old Testament descriptions of things. And they're doing that because the audience that the apostle John was writing to, he's received a vision, and as he received the vision, he's trying to write it down. And he's specifically using language that they would understand. Here's the other thing. John is trying to describe a heavenly experience with earthly words. And you can imagine how insufficient earthly words would be to describe a heavenly experience. Any of you that have had an interaction with the Holy Spirit in a, in a true, powerful level, you're left speechless. Am I wrong? When it happens, there's not always words to describe what's going on, and there's not always words to describe how you experienced it or or what it was. And John is doing his best to search and find those words. And that's why he's using language that he understands and language they understand. So as we read the book of Revelation, don't fear it. Don't get afraid of it. Don't be one of those Corinthians that say, well, it doesn't have a lot of evidence to be in there. It actually has just as much evidence as 1 Corinthians, which we know is one of the earliest letters written. So we know that the apostle John wrote Revelation. We're pretty, we're, we're very confident in that. So it's a book in the Bible that God gave us to have in our Bible. So I want to encourage you, don't be afraid of it, but read it through the right lens when you begin to read it. And Jesus actually, in it, has a direct conversation with John. And John knows Jesus because he walked with Jesus. So when he sees Jesus, he recognizes who he is. And he immediately recognizes, this is my Lord and Savior, my best friend who I've spent time with. And so Jesus looks at John and says, hey, I want to write letters to some of the churches. And this is what it's going to be. We're going to write letters to some of the churches because there's some issues with some of these churches. There's some good churches, but there's some issue with some of these churches out there. And when he says church, he just means not like this. Okay, this didn't exist then. It was just gatherings of Jesus followers. The church, the word is ecclesia, and it's a gathering of Jesus followers. That's what it means. And he, Jesus sits back and says, hey, I want you to pay attention because there's some things we need to recognize in the church. In fact, I think that the church he's writing to in Laodicea, as John pens the words from Jesus' 
mouth, I think it rings true today. John writes this in Revelation 3. He says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now some of you hear that and go, what does that mean? It is simply calling to the glory of God. It's an expression of God's glory. And then Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds, church, that you are neither cold nor hot. He says, I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, room temperature, because you're just kind of there, you're neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, some of us hear that and go, that's disgusting. I can't believe they put that in the Bible. But it's true. I mean, if you were to have a lukewarm milkshake, you would spit it out. If you were to have a lukewarm uh, piece of fish, yeah, exactly, ew, yucky. And there's a sense in which, and I, I don't mean to step on your toes too much, but there's a sense in which Jesus says that lukewarm Christians are, and he said this, not me, disgusting. That Christians who are just kind of riding the middle ground, that claim Christ. So if you're a believer, this is for you today. If you're not a believer and you're not sure, then hey, you just get to watch us squirm. That's it. You get to sit around and may, I believe the principle we're teaching is going to help you today. But if you are a, not a Jesus follower, this doesn't apply to you to the same degree that it does for those of us that do follow Jesus. Because he's specifically writing to a church. He's writing to a church, a group of believers. And he says, you are neither hot nor you are cold. I wish you were either sold out to me or I wish you didn't even know me because then I could at least reach you. But because you say you know me, but you're not sold out, you're right in the middle ground. And that middle ground is, according to him, disgusting, repulsive. He doesn't want to keep us in when that happens. And I know this is so offensive, and we go, man, Jesus is so harsh. He's not harsh, and he's actually going to explain why in just a little bit. But you know these lukewarm Christians, right? You've experienced these people before. A lukewarm Christian is, uh, they go to church, but they don't love their neighbor. A lukewarm Christian is somebody who uh, goes to church, but doesn't follow the command to live generously with their time and treasure. A lukewarm Christian is someone that goes to church, but doesn't tame, tame their tongue during the meeting when that, their boss says something that just really ticks them off, you know? That's a lukewarm Christian. A lukewarm Christian is somebody who makes excuses for why they don't follow the commands of Jesus. That doesn't mean we have to be perfect all the time. I'm not saying that. And Shirley knows that we're going to make mistakes. I do often. What it means is that we are simply going to recognize those mistakes and we're going to stop and turn from them. A lukewarm Christian makes excuses for them instead of leaning into the problem. A lukewarm Christian goes to church but doesn't love and honor his husband or her husband or wife. There's a problem with lukewarm Christians, Jesus says, that, that when that happens. And according to Jesus, they're disgusting and they cause problems. And again, you've met these people. You've met these people at work. You've met these people, not in this church, but you've met these people in church. You've, you've met these people in your country club. You've met these people on the golf course. They claim Christ in one breath. And then it seems as though every action after that doesn't reflect Christ. You have a word for people like that, don't you? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. 
And Jesus says, when you're a lukewarm Christian, that's how you come across. And he says, I know your deeds. I know that all you do is go to church, he says. I know all you do is supplement the relationship with me and my father for attending the church. I know that's what you do. And he says, and that's not being sold out to me. I want a relationship with you, not just your attendance on Sunday. And there's an issue with that. And if you remember, correct, if you remember correctly, uh, Jesus didn't really enjoy the, the Pharisees when they were hypocrites. You remember some of the things he said to them? It was pretty harsh at times. Because Jesus looks and says, you're a stumbling block to those around you. But he continues. He continues. But before, and as he continues, here, here's the other great thing before we go there. Uh, the imagery he uses is perfect for that day and age. Now today, he may use the milkshake image. I don't know. But in that day and age, it was the perfect imagery. Because what they would do is when you visited somebody's house, they would offer you wine, right? Some of you are like, let's bring that culture back, okay? Not, they, they, dare, they drank wine because the water was unsafe, okay? Everybody take a deep breath. So they drank wine because the water was unsafe. But it was part of the, it was customary. You would show up, and then the, the house owner, the host, would provide wine, something to drink, just like we do today with a glass of water for the family or for somebody who's visiting. And see, wine in that day and age was expected to be served warm, over fire, or cold, depending on the area of the world you were in. In some areas, they could do both. But it was meant to be one of those two. It was not meant to be in the middle. And so and it, if you did serve it in lukewarm, that it was offensive to the guest because it says you didn't prepare for them. That's all it says. You're not important enough for me to prepare for. And it shows incompetence on the part of the host. And Jesus says, it's almost like the church in Laodicea, and I would almost hazard to guess the church in America today, sits in this place of lukewarm. He continues, you say I am rich. This is Jesus talking, telling the church in Laodicea. You say I am rich. You say I've acquired great wealth, and I do not need a thing, but you do not realize, he says, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And we go, I don't feel any of those things, Jesus, so you must not be talking to me. His point is, is that you may have physical things. You may have the money. You may have the nice clothes. You, you might have the nice car. You might have the very successful business. You might have the very successful job. You might have the very successful family. But he says, if you're a Jesus follower, okay, so remember, this is to a church in, that follows Christ, okay? So this is not for non-believers. But if you are a Jesus follower and you say you have all those things, but you have no relationship with Christ, he says you're hollow. You're empty. You're missing something. You're missing a key part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. He says, don't kid yourself, don't lie to yourself, because we all do that from time to time. He says, you, as a Jesus follower, you are lukewarm, and there is a problem there. He continues, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover, cover your shameful nakedness, and to put salve on your eyes so that you can see. And see, this is the stuff where we go, I don't know what Jesus is saying. All he's saying, he's using language that they understand in times that they're going through, okay? So he's saying, hey, what you need, this is the point he's trying to say, what you need, I have. 
What you need, I have. You say you want wealth, sure, you have actual money, I'll give you the greatest wealth in the entire universe. But you got to come back to me. He says, you need to be clothed, you need provision, I'll give you the best provision you can ever have. If you remember, he calls himself the bread of life. He says, I can give you the best provision you can ever have, but first, you have to come back to me. And there's a key, it's going to cost us something sometimes, that's why he uses the word buy. Because how many of you know that following Jesus sometimes is difficult? How many of you know that following Jesus at times means you have to say no to yourself and yes to him? And no to yourself and maybe yes to her. No to yourself and maybe yes to him. That you have to say no to yourself at times, yes to Jesus, yes to the commands of Christ. And again, this is imagery that everyone would have understood because that's what he's going for. And then he says this to kind of tie it all together for us because he, to, he wants to put it in a neat little package so that we can understand. Because we just get through that first part and it feels like, man, he is coming hard. Like, I feel like you read that and you're like, man, Jesus was grumpy that day. Somebody didn't give him his coffee when John was meeting with him because that is, sounds so rough compared to the Jesus I read sometimes in the Gospels. But listen to what he says next, and this is the indication and the clarification to what he says. Those whom I love, which is all of us, his church, his Jesus followers, his his followers, his ecclesia, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. If you're a parent, you understand this. If you love your kids, You're going to discipline them. You're going to correct them. If you love your kids, you're going to show them the right way to behave. And sometimes that means that you have to discipline them. Sometimes that means that you have to clarify your actions are going to lead to these consequences. And sometimes you let those things happen. Or you stop them. And you say, no, 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 you can't do that. You cannot do that. We would discipline our boys when they would open the window in their bedroom. They were on the second story. We would discipline them. They would go in time out. They would, they would lose screen time and all sorts of things when they were growing up because, I say when they're growing up, they're still growing up, but when they were really little, we would do that because it was unsafe. It's not because we didn't love them. So when you hear these words of Jesus, it's not because he doesn't love you. That's not why he says these words. He says, to those I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Now remember, this is for the Jesus followers. If you're a follower of Christ, this is for you, that he loves you. But he loves you too much to let you continue in a place where you are lukewarm. He loves you too much to let you continue to supplement or replace your relationship with him with just the attendance in church. He loves you too much to let you replace what he could give you for what the world's going to offer you. He loves you too much. So he rebukes you. He calls it out. That's what he means. He turns you from it, and he disciplines you. The Greek word here in discipline means to teach or guide. So don't think God with a you know, big switch. That's how I always think when I see discipline in the Bible. I just think God is walking around with one of those big bamboo sticks, you know, and when we do something wrong, it's like, wah 
That's not what he, that's not what the word actually means. It translates well. It's one of the best ways we have it, but really he means to teach or to guide. To teach or to guide. That's what he's saying. And listen, there are times, I'm gonna be completely honest, there are times when Jesus teaches and guides us and it is uncomfortable. And there are times when he teaches and guides us and we are going to go, if we can just be honest with ourselves, and I think we should, that we go kicking and screaming, don't we? That we go, Jesus, I am not interested in that. And he goes, no, 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 I understand, but I am because I'm interested in who you're going to be tomorrow, not who you are right now. Because I want to get you to a place. I want to restore you. That's what I want to do. And he says, in order to do that, I have to provide a little bit of discipline. I have to provide a little bit of guidance. I have to teach and guide you on the path. So that's how we do it. And again, it makes us so, so very uncomfortable. It makes us so uncomfortable because we just want to do what we want to do, right? And it's so much easier when we can just replace our relationship with church attendance. It's easier because then we don't hear the Holy Spirit is easy. Then we can use, we've got excuses. And then we've really got a clear conscience on Monday when we behave so poorly to our coworkers. And then we've got a really good excuse throughout the week when we treat our wives or our husbands poorly, don't we? Because the image of church attender is there. The image of church attender is in. And we're good. And we feel fine. But to follow Jesus, to have a relationship with him, when those things happen you feel uncomfortable. When those things happen, the Holy Spirit convicts you. When those things happen, you want to get away from the person that you were and want to become something different. So Jesus explains. He goes into it again. So he, he rebukes them in the first part. You are like lukewarm. You are room temperature Christians in the church in Laodicea. And then he says, hey, that's all right, because I wouldn't say anything to you if I didn't love you. That's what he says. I wouldn't say anything to you if I didn't love you. And then he continues. He gives us the out. He always ends up providing the way forward. Here I am, he said. I stand at the door and I knock. I stand at the door and I knock. I stand at the door, and I'm right here. So this is the best part. If you are one of those people, and everything I'm saying today is making you squirm around in your seat, and you're like, maybe I am the church in Laodicea. I don't know. And you feel like that? This is, this is the best part about it. Jesus puts the cookies on the lowest shelf for people like us, okay? It's real easy. He simply says that he's even, this is how it is, he's even knocking at the door for you. He, he meets you at the door. You don't have to go somewhere. His illustration is very clear. I am right there. I am so close. But I'm not going to force my way in. I'm not going to do that. But I am right here. I'm even going to knock on the door. I'm going to, to knock so that you would open. He says, if anyone hears my voice, and opens the door. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. 
The imagery is clear. He's not interested in just church attendance. He's interested in a relationship. That's what he's interested in. Because that's what it means to invite somebody in for dinner. You don't invite people you don't like to your house for dinner. At least I hope you don't, because some of you have invited me for dinner. (laughs) And now I would be self-conscious if you said yes. So thank you for not saying yes. But you don't. You don't invite people to your house that you don't like. Like that you just can't stand, that you don't love, you don't care about. You don't typically invite those people over. And so Jesus says, look, you got to, I'll come in and I'll sit and I'll eat with you. I will be with you. I will experience life with you. And I will be there all along the way. But first, you have to make the decision to open the door. You have to let me back in. And remember, he's writing to a church. He is not writing to non-believers. We hear this verse and we go, oh, that's one of those non-believer verses. The first part says, to the church in Laodicea. So there's a sense in which Jesus' followers can fall victim to this. That we can fall to the wayside. And we can get away from a real relationship with Jesus. And we've allowed church to just supplement, to be in there, to replace it. And when that happens, we lose the power that's offered to us. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And if you're already following Jesus and you've decided, yeah, you know what? I am that person. All you have to do is answer the door. All you have to do is answer the door. And the way that I like to describe it, my pastor, Pastor Mike, explained it this way, that your life is almost like a house. And when you're a brand new uh, Jesus follower, brand new Christian, Jesus knocks on the front door. This is the invitation to salvation. He knocks on the front door, opens, and then we open the door, and we say, Jesus, come into the living room. I'm so, look at my nice, clean living room. And Jesus mills about in the living room, and we sit down there with him, right? And then maybe we let him into the dining room because that's okay. That's a safe place to let him into. That's good. We're fine there. And then maybe we let him after a period of time into the kitchen because that's where we cook meals. So, hey, Jesus, you can come help me with some parts of my life. And he knocks on all those doors as he goes. He knocks on one door, knocks on the next one, knocks on the next one. And every time we have the option, Jesus, I'm going to let you a little further and deeper into my life. I'm going to let you a little bit deeper and further into my life. But then he comes to the bedroom, the place where all of our intimate secrets are held, right? That's the bedroom in this illustration. And he says, he knocks on the door then. And we sit back and go, Jesus, you don't want to go in there. You're, you don't want to go. I haven't folded laundry in a week. There's clothes on the bed, socks on the floor. I mean, come on, Jesus, you don't, you don't want to do that. Um, you don't want to see my mess. And so, see, here's the thing. Lukewarm Christians stop him in the living room. That's the only door we're we're ready to open. Because if we let him any deeper in our life, then that means he's going to demand real life change. He'll equip you for it, true. But there will have to be some action on your part. And so as we unpack this, Jesus is knocking at the door. He's knocking at the door of your life. 
Maybe if you've never heard the gospel before, he's knocking on the front door. Maybe if you've been a Jesus follower for a long time, he's knocking on that closet in your bedroom. Maybe if you've followed Jesus for a period of time, but you've recognized you're similar to the church in Laodicea, he's knocking on the living room, trying to get into the rest of the house. But the best part is, as he says, I will come and eat with you. There's no, nothing that's going to separate you from me to a place where we can't get there. It's okay. You can get back. And so as we finish today, I want to ask the question. Is Jesus knocking on the door? Do you feel as though you've become one of those lukewarm Christians? One of those Christians who just make excuses, who don't treat their family the way they should, that don't behave the way they ought to, who don't value people the way that Christ did. Maybe you're one of those people who you're a Jesus follower on Sunday, but when Monday starts and you're in the business realm, you're not really taking any of those principles with you. Maybe it's one of those things where you honor your husband or your wife here in the church, but then by Sunday evening tonight, you're not going to be doing that. Maybe it's just the simple fact that you've recognized that, hey, I've allowed Christ to take a back seat in my life. And although we just finished the fast, there's nothing saying that that automatically resets it. Sometimes maybe it illuminates something prepares us for something. So as we close today, I want to ask you the question, is Jesus knocking at the door? Is there an area that you have pushed him out of that he needs to get back into? Is there change in your life that needs to happen that, you, that he needs to get back to? And if so, open the door. If he's knocking at the door, open the door. It will be the best decision you've ever made. If it's for the first time or if it's for the hundredth time, open the door. He'll make you a better husband, a better wife, a better worker, a better leader, a better father, a better mother. He'll make you better all around if you just open the door. So, stop going to church and start having a real relationship with Jesus. So with that, I would love to pray for you. Lord, this, this one is tough to swallow. It's even harder because you're not talking to non-believers is you speak to John, you're, you're talking to Christ followers. You're talking to people who claim to follow you. And Lord, you're acknowledging that there are times in our life where we fall away. And there's numerous reasons why. It could be work, it could be family, it could be personal situations that are happening, it could be a crisis of faith. But Lord, you clarify it so well that you stand at the door and you knock and you say, 
here I am. I'm ready to come in and eat and spend time with you again. That it's a simple, simple prayer and it's a simple action. There's no amount of crazy things we need to do to do that. So Lord, I want to take this opportunity to pray for anybody who is a Jesus follower and recognizes that maybe they've become lukewarm this past year or maybe they've become lukewarm these past couple weeks or these past months. And Lord, I pray, I pray that you would guide us. I pray that you would call us back to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to make those decisions to not just be cultural Christians that attend on Sundays, but to be Christians that exemplify and shine your love outside of this place to everyone we're around. Lord, I pray that we are not lukewarm, but that we would be on fire for you. Lord, for anybody who hears this for the first time and they decide they want to answer the front door. Holy Spirit, give them the courage to open it. Give them the courage to open it. Speak to them that they don't need to do it alone. Lord, that they would be connected to a body of believers as they take this journey of Christianity together. Father, we love you, we trust you, and we praise you. And the church said...